Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Hey guys, Omar Khan here with Beta Trading Co. I wanted to tell you about episode 124 of the Breakthrough Podcast. We currently have a special offer for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. We're offering a free one-hour live training session where we show how to instantly add stock options as a new income stream. Now, I've used this myself personally over the years to create a sizable real estate portfolio for myself, and there's no reason you can't as well. The cool thing is it only takes about 30 minutes a day, so if you have a job, or if you have a business, or you're just spending a lot of time with your family, you're going to have time to incorporate this in your life if you take the time to learn this, okay? Now... We're also offering a 15-minute free consultation to discuss how our option strategy can work with your current investment strategy and really take your investment to the next level, okay? So for more information, check out 30minutesstocktrader.com forward slash breakthrough to join us on our free live training, our next webinar. Remember again, episode 124, where Sandy and I go over exactly how I use this strategy to acquire a large real estate portfolio for myself, and there's no reason why you can't as well. See you there, guys. Talk soon. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Good morning and welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another exciting episode of Breakthrough REI podcast. As usual, uh, sitting in the pilot seat is Sandy McKay. How's it going? I'm uh, awesome. Yourself? Not bad, not bad. It's casual day for us. Hey, I know. Every day is going to be casual for you soon, I think. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's COVID life, right? We don't need to dress up in suits too much. So T-shirt yeah, day. Now, I'm not in my office anymore because I gave all of my desks away just to uh, sort of get rid of the clutter and stuff. And and uh, we're getting rid of a lot of our, of our furniture and, you know, in anticipation for the move. So here I am just down in the basement. The sound quality is probably not that great. I can hear some echo bounce back. So hopefully it's not too bad. Well, so. we're, uh, you know, trialing for uh, for a new country and new new setup soon with you, right? So that should be exciting for everyone listening in. We're going to be uh, live streaming something from some different countries soon enough. Yeah, it is. And next time we talk, we'll, we'll be there. So uh, this will be the last one from this location. So we're excited about that. Uh, what's going on with you, Sandy? Nothing really, to be honest. Nothing, nothing to top that. Um, not moving countries, not moving towns or anything, even. So um, just same old, working away and uh, having some fun in this uh, industry. That's about it. Nothing really new to report this week. Okay. Well, I mean, you always have some exciting stuff happening. So I'm sure next time we'll hear something we are, good. We're buying some stuff and things like that. I'll see if we maybe maybe in the next two weeks I'll have an, an exciting one to share. Actually, um, right on. Give me a couple weeks. Uh, everybody listening knows the drill. You should go over to Breakthrough REI Podcast. There you can listen to all of our past episodes, download them, and uh, enjoy them with your friends and family. Share <laughs> share, share uh, all the information with people that you know. And you can get our free gift there as well, Sandy, right? 
Uh, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Yeah, and uh, get our, on our email list with that. Never miss out on a show. Uh, get updates about uh, what we're up to and things we got going on. Maybe some live events and that eventually coming soon. Property tours, all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, we're going to be uh, continuing our property tours as well, too. Um, we're doing them uh, virtually every month or so. Maybe we'll, we'll start to pick those up as well uh, going forward. But we are still doing them, and, and people signed up on the list are seeing uh, when, we're, when, when those dates are. So, yeah, please join us for those. And um, go over to iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate that. It helps us get out there to more people and uh, and and share all of the knowledge that all of our guests have with more people, right? Because uh, that's the goal to to share all of this. That's why we started it to uh, educate people on REI and let people know that it's not simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's, it's not, not easy, but it's, 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 it can be it can be quite simple, or it can be simpler when you have the knowledge and the skills, and uh, it doesn't have to be difficult. That's for sure. It's, uh, sorry, it doesn't have to be complex, but it's definitely not necessarily easy either. For a guy that can't even get the saying right, I've managed to do something right. So <laughs> there's got to be something to that saying. Um, okay. So anyway, I'm really excited to have our guest that we have uh, on. He was our second guest that we ever had on the podcast. I don't even know how long ago that was, seven years ago or seven something like years. that. Yeah. And and uh, and reoccurring, I mean, we, try, we did little uh, – bits called the Michael minute for a while where he would come on and just do a, do a little, uh, do a little tidbit segment for us uh, with, with uh, some relevant info, but really excited to have him back. He's here to talk about his book among other things. Um, so super excited to have you back. Michael Dominguez, welcome to the show. Fantastic. Thanks for bringing me back. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read a, a quick intro for you and then, um, and then we'll get into asking some questions. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Michael, uh, Michael's an award-winning sales rep with Remax Jazz Inc. Uh, brokerage, a founder of Doors and Wealth Real Estate Group, a team of realtors focused on educating and assisting people in real in residential real estate. Uh, since becoming a real, realtor in 20, uh, 2008, he has realized the opportunities in real estate investing, bought his first investment property, proceeded to add to his portfolio for over 10 years now, and he's completed over 300 investment property transactions. Um, just helped many, many people become millionaires to real estate. And he is now a newly published author with uh, just launching his book, um, The Armchair Real Estate Millionaire. So we're going to talk about that and get to know a bit more about that book and where you can get that and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, awesome to have you here. We're pumped to to share more about your story and learn more about what you've been up to. Yeah. I'm, I, again, I'm looking forward to just catching up with you guys. Uh, it's uh, you know, I knew you guys when, so, uh, so that's going to be kind of fun to talk about uh, a little reminiscing as well. Well, fun fact too, is uh, my first deliberate uh, income property, Michael helped me buy it. So uh, we can, we can, we can both uh, be, uh, be on that same boat. Same with me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, I, I met Sandy and Kate when uh, they were, I think, I think it was at a Los Cabos uh, uh, Mexican restaurant, and they were giving me this vision of where they wanted to go, and uh, and you know these young kids with no experience, and but they were so determined. I was really impressed with them, and they uh, they did exactly what they said they were going to do, which is pretty awesome. So, well, we know Kate drove that that shit <laughs> mostly but yeah uh yeah it's been fun that was uh yeah we're looking at where we're getting that's close to 10 years i'm not sure how long exactly but maybe eight eight or nine years maybe yeah um, you know what's funny is i remember too something about the first time you guys went out together i remember the story where you were in michael's convertible mustang and you had to stop on the side of the road and pick up a couch or something like that, wasn't it? What was the story? What happened there? That was, yeah, also, it, that was also Kate's fault, I think. If uh, <laughs> I, I think it was actually uh, podcast number four, which I think was, as you said, the second guest. And um, and if anyone ever wants to go back to it, it's uh, uh, there, you actually have a photo of uh, the furniture in the convertible, and somehow you managed. We've managed to get all of us in there. I actually, I, I now have a uh, Corvette convertible, and. I, I was tempted just for old time's sake to uh, to do the uh, to do the podcast from inside the convertible because I did my last one from inside the the uh, Mustang. So but. that's right, that's right. I remember now. Yeah. You know what? Just for old time's sake, why don't you go pick up an old couch off the side, throw it up, yeah. throw it on the, the new uh, Cor Corvette? What do you think? That's about right. That? 
Yeah, but the problem is, is that the Corvette, as great as it is, it doesn't have a back seat. So, like, not that the Mustang back seat was any good, but uh, at least there was a little bit of room to put a to put a you know full size couch, right? So, and me, and me somehow was I was back there somewhere too. Somehow yeah. I don't know how that made made sense, but we worked back, it out. Back we, flipped, the- we flipped the couch. We were flipping more than just real estate that day, so that was fun. Yeah, no, it was it was it was good. So anyway, so and, and Rob, uh, like, yeah, Rob. Uh, what was it? Was it Elgin was the first property we bought together? It was a student rental and that's, yeah, the, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then we sold it a couple, a little while later. And, uh, and I remember the, the person that bought it cause we have still a relationship with each other and, uh, he calls that place his cash cow. So that always makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. You only regret the ones you sell, I think, or don't buy, I think so. That's what they say. So enough about us, though. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about how you got started. Yeah, well, um, yeah, it's uh, I I was a little older than you guys when I got started in the real estate game. I was uh, in my, I don't know, uh, about 40 or so when I got really started. Um, Actually, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily an aha moment, but you know, uh, when I was in my teenage years, in my early 20s, I had this vision of being a multi-millionaire and, and uh, you know, I was very entrepreneurial. But then fast forward, uh, you know, 10, 15 years and sort of life gets in the way. You, you get a responsible job, you get a, um, you get a wife, you have a child, and all of a sudden you're sort of stuck in the rat race. Then, uh, um, you know, before you know it, you know, the clock turns and you've hit 40 and you say, what the hell happened? And uh, so... Uh, it was actually while looking for a home here uh, in in the Durham region that uh, my realtor, who was also a manager, sort of said, "Hey, why don't you think about investing in real estate or or becoming a realtor?" And so after much deliberation, I said, "All right, let me consider that." And uh, and and I eventually got my license. And uh, um, my back 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 in the old days, I used to help franchisees buy franchises. And so I just gravitated towards the investors right away because I was speaking to my people. And, uh, and that's sort of how it got going. And, uh, and I started helping a few people making some real money. And I thought, holy crap, these guys aren't very bright. I could do that too. And, uh, and then sure enough, uh, I started buying my first couple of invest- investment properties. You know, the reality is, is that I did what everyone told me I was supposed to do is I was buying these undervalued properties in secondary markets and secondary neighborhoods and uh and just buying these these crappy properties and even after i fixed them up i was having a real challenge with tenant profile and and that was sort of what led me to where i am today where i started saying you know what if i buy a nicer property in a nicer area i can get some good tenants and make this a whole lot easier and that's sort of how it evolved and so you started out in uh durham region as well right oshawa was that your first yeah well actually my very first property i bought was believe it or not a sixplex in coburg and uh and you know again i i'd like to think that i kind of zigged while everyone else zagged there all these people that are coming on your show they always talk about how they're buying you know all these you know uh construction deals and building and severing and all those things i uh i started with a sixplex and you know i was i was thinking i was getting at maltese i just decided i didn't like them and it was buying those those great suburban properties in uh, in great neighborhoods that uh, that's where I started going. So all my first properties I bought, I've essentially sold, and I've just got a portfolio now of properties that that I like. And those are uh, is it are they? I know duplexes for sure are in there. Is there is there anything else but duplexes, or have you really just narrowed it right down to the to those? those nice duplexes where you, I know you can get great tenants in those all day long, right? All day long. I've got a nine plex through a joint venture. Um, and, but I'm not the active, well, I, I'm one of the active partners, but I'm not the one doing the property management. But other than that, I've just got my duplexes left and I've got a dozen of them. And, uh, and yeah, they're, they're, they're doing really well. And, and, you know, one thing I can share is, you know, everyone, you know, I'm sure we've all seen the stories of other uh, investors that have had, issues with their tenants over the course of the last year and a half with COVID. And we went zero months of missed rent payments and we had zero months of vacancy through the entire pandemic. And if anything, if a tenant did move out, uh, we then raised the rent by 10 to 25%. So, you know, it's a, it's a good position to be in when uh, we're spending on our dozen properties or so 
four, five, six hours a month. And that's pretty much all we're spending on them now because it's just maintenance. Awesome. And, um, you know, I think you, you, you talk a lot about that tenant first, kind of thinking about the tenant first when you're looking at properties. Is that, or can you talk a bit about that? How you kind of analyze, how do you analyze deals for yourself and, and with that tenant first, uh, you know, thought process? Yeah, I, this is something that um, I wish I'd come up with this originally, but I started to focus on instead of, um, instead of looking for the deal wherever it is in the world, I, I started thinking about what type of tenant that I wanted to rent to and, and then finding a property that that tenant would want to live in. And so I was finding properties in great neighborhoods um, and quality neighborhoods. And, uh, and I'd find a, a good quality property where the entire street and neighborhood was in a good condition as well. And then uh, allowed me to find those quality tenants. And then you can hold on to it for a long period of time. And, and in real estate, like it's, it's funny how, uh, so much talk on a buy and hold investment. Everyone says, you got to bring it in on the buy. You got to make it on the buy. You know, that's one of these things that everyone just accepts as being normal and accepted. But I can tell you that I've bought properties at retail value and I've held on to them for 10 years. And if I sold them today at retail value, I do okay with that. And, and if, you know, so what if I overpaid the property by 10 or $20,000? If I'm up a half a million dollars, I'm okay with that. I think it just comes down to simplifying. I think, which I think is a lot of the base basis of your book, which we'll get into it uh, a little bit later here in the show, because um, it, it just simplifies it, right? I think that's what a lot of a lot of newer investors, especially they they maybe don't know which angle, which path they're going to go down. They're they're getting all these different shiny objects going at them, and they're they're probably a lot of cases. You know, I think we all see that is they're they're really making it way too difficult on themselves, and and trying to get away from the easy easy path make everything so complex when it really doesn't need to be, does it? Yeah. You know, there's going to be listeners on this broadcast that are, their goals are to be full-time investors and their goal is to, uh, to basically change everything about their lives to, uh, to invest in real estate. But for, for myself and many other people, uh, this was meant to be a part-time job that would make me a millionaire or multimillionaire. And, and honestly, if, if, if you think of it like a side hustle, and that's really what it was, because in my case, I was a full-time realtor. Uh, I was able to buy these properties on the side and still maintain my nine-to-five job, and uh, and it's it's changed my life. And it hasn't uh, it hasn't taken that much time out of my day-to-day life, and it's cut maybe ten years out of my work life as a result of that. So these three to five hours a month, maybe even six or eight hours in a bad month, has saved me ten years of working life. That's okay. Yeah. The other thing too, I think, is that people like when they're when they're buying, um, they they really can only compare with the climate that they're in at the time. So you you look at everything that's available and and compare them to each other and try to pick the best one. When like when take me back five years and I'll buy all six of them instead of analyzing and picking the one that just slightly you know, scrapes by the others in the uh, spreadsheet, right? Well, sure. But, you know, again, I, I, I don't have an unlimited amount of money and ability to qualify. So, you know, I'd love to buy them all. But, uh, but yeah, you know, the reality is I, I can't. And so, so you know, why, why, like, I see these people that are buying a property in Northern Ontario and a property in Manitoba and a property, you know, just because they're getting these great deals and, and, uh, and so, you know, become, you know, you guys are both great at this. You become experts in your local markets and, uh, and you just, yeah, it, it, it just makes sense when it's all said and done. You find, you, you create your profile of the type of property you want to find and then, and an avatar of the type of tenant that you're looking for. And then amazingly enough, properties just pop up that meet those criteria, and it just makes all the sense in the world. What is your what is your criteria now, or what has it evolved over time to 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 become what it is now? Maybe uh, when you're looking at a property, what are the specific things you're looking for? Yeah, well, the first thing I'm looking for is as simple as this: it's a a quality property in a quality neighborhood. And the kind of property I'm looking for in the Ontario market is that thousand square foot brick bungalow uh, built in the 1960s. It could be 50s or 70s or something like that. Something post-war. With the ability of uh, in in Ontario, you can add uh, a secondary suite in the in the basement, 
And uh, now some markets, uh, uh, I just did a podcast actually uh, in, uh, in Australia. And so their auxiliary or their secondary houses are in many cases granny suites that are off to the side of the house. But whatever it is, in the, in the footprint of that lot, getting two dwelling units where you have two normal families, normal individuals that have jobs, that have income, that have credit score, um, that are assets to the community. And then, and then we rent to those people. And, um, and so I always make a joke that I, if I took my DeLorean 15 years in the future uh, into some of my neighborhoods that I own properties, they're going to look very much the same as they do right now. Uh, I'm not looking for some uh, up-and-coming neighborhood that may or may not be successful. I don't want to have a property where every house around me is, is run down and shabby because even if I do fix my place up, all of my um, my neighbors are going to be rougher and, and I can't attract or keep the tenants that I want to have. I'm just buying it in nice residential neighborhoods that in 15 years are going to be just as desirable or maybe even more desirable than they are today. Um, I am looking for markets where we are seeing the right market fundamentals. That's so imperative in, uh, in, uh, in investing. Uh, and what I mean by that is properties in neighborhoods where there's a growing GDP, uh, growing job base, growing population, um, and then that's leading to increased rent demand, increased rent prices, and eventually that leads to increased uh, prices of the of the homes themselves. And those are the kind of markets that I want to invest in. Don't put me in some northern Ontario mining town that hasn't grown in population in 25 years. Give me a nice suburban uh, home in a, from a, on, a, on a good city like Toronto, and, and I'll do well with that. So I guess that the answer sort of covers this too. But I mean, when, when you're talking about sort of a lot of people want to move up and into the multis and you've sort of decided to stay more into this other uh, duplexes and things like that, right? For reasons that you've already mentioned, but could you not sort of find the same thing in the multis where there were nice properties that you would want to live in yourself? And why have you sort of steered away from that? Yeah, you know, again, I zigged where they, a lot of people zagged, but I, in my experience, and we've done that with our multiplexes, and a lot of my clients have done the same thing with their multiplexes. But the reality is, is that, um, like, we've right now got a tenant in one of our units where husband and wife, the wife is actually, she's a, a recently graduated lawyer. She's making a six-figure income and got a credit score probably around 800. That tenant is simply not going to... Oh, if they can't, and they can't afford a home. Whereas back 15 years ago, they'd be able to move into a house right away. But that's just not always the case now. I'm able to rent them a main unit of one of my bungalows, and they're more than happy to live there. They would simply not ever want to live in a nineplex where there's a mix of tenant profile that's there. Uh, I just can't attract the A tenants in a multiplex in the same way that I can in my bungalows where they've got a lovely two or three bedroom of apartment, uh, backyard, they've got parking, they, you know, it's their own house. Uh, and, and that's the kind of tenants that I can attract in the big boy in the in the single family, but the big boy properties, I just can't do it. And in my mind, I'm a pretty lazy person. And I'd rather not be dealing with tenants and BS. And, and I find that no matter how much you fix up that property, and how much you're dealing with, it, you're still going to get tenant conflicts, you're going to get um, calls from the police, uh, like it just, it just happens. And, you know, uh, no matter how much you, how, how much you edit out your tenants, things happen. And, and that just doesn't happen in my duplexes. Or at least not as much. I mean, I guess there's more, it's more, more apt to happen where there's a more concentrated tenant base. It, it's true. And again, it's going to sound stereotypical, but a lot of times, the tenants who are living in my duplexes, they think of it as their own home. They're doing gardening. They're maintaining the home. They're, they're treating it as if it's their own house. In a multiplex, mm -hmm. I find that they have more of a tenant mentality, and, uh, and they call over every little thing there is. And when Susie is uh, smoking pot outside, they call the police, and then there's a – like it's that's what happens. It's just what happens. And you're absolutely right. The more tenants you have, the more problems you can have. But – it's also, it's a, it's a profile tenant mindset that I find that is prevalent in multiplexes that are just not there in duplexes. And again, You're right about that. Cause I just, uh, just now that you mention it, my, my tenant 
sent me some pictures of this beautiful garden she planted. She bought a gate and installed it herself on the, you know, at, at the back door. So, uh, yeah, and I was really super impressed with that. Yeah, Made it, my bet. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not that complicated. You get a really quality property in a quality neighborhood, and you can find quality tenants. And, and you know, it's funny how, you know, and we talk about, you know, and we, both, we, we know a lot of the same people. And how many people do we know that have done, made their first million dollars in duplexes, but because it's so boring and so easy, they end up saying, well, let me go for the big boy properties. And they do a development deal. And one of the things that I, um, I, I love hearing is the rags to riches to rags to riches story. And you know, everyone applauds at the end and they're all really happy, you know, that they've persevered. But, you know, then I ask the question, I say, okay, I like how you made the riches the first time. And I like how you made riches the second time. But tell me about this part here where you lost all the money. And in almost every case, it was a development deal. It was a partnership that went bad. It was a multiplex that just had cost overruns. Those are the ones that are a little bit higher risk. And yeah, it's a lot more exciting. But, you know, one of the classic lines I, you know, I've, I've heard before and I'll say again is I make my uh, investments boring and I love my life is exciting. And, uh, and, and that's, and that's the way I want to follow my mindset is just boring, boring duplexes that just are cash cows. I'm okay with that. Well, let's get into that then. How do you make life exciting? What does Michael Dominguez do to make life exciting? Well, honestly, the last, uh, keep it, the last keep it PG, half, keep it PG too. Come on. Yeah. We have, we have... <laughs> the last year and a half has sucked, but I like traveling and <clears> I really <throat> enjoy traveling. And, uh, you know, maybe I've got a, you know, if I, if I head out to Costa Rica, I've got a place I can crash. I don't know. We will see. He hasn't actually invited me. So we got a bathtub somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, my goal is I'd like to, I, I'm not really a, a Central America kind of guy. Uh, my goal is to live in uh, California for four to six months a year. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, living here the rest of the time, perhaps, but uh, we travel a lot and uh, we, um, uh, we just spend, you know, we, we basically doing what we want to do. Uh, like, you know, and, and it just gives you more choices. The, the convertible is a great choice of an example of that. Uh, had, had I not been investing in real estate, the idea of dropping 60 K on a, on a convertible just would seem like lunacy, but you've just got all these flexibilities to do what you want to do. And, uh, and it's, it's not a matter of, uh, I can't afford it. It's, you know, I, 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 I can, it just doesn't make sense. And, uh, and so in many cases, I say, sure, let's do it. Like we're uh, next time, next time you're out this way, Rob, I'll, or Sandy for that matter, as I'll show you all my landscaping in the backyard. I've been doing lots of things back here and, uh, and turning it into my uh, Caribbean oasis. So uh, that's what I've been doing. So oh, yeah, I'm enjoying, myself. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. Yeah. One of the features I like most, I was, uh, I've been to your house a couple of times. One of the features I like most is the, the uh, pizza pizza. They just deliver right across the fence into your backyard. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that too. I've seen, I witnessed that in person the one time. I, love yeah, that. I, I never actually, I used to joke. I was going to put a, uh, this was when I was a lot heavier actually too. I was joking that I was going to put a gate back there so I could just, you know, instead of walking all the way around the street, yeah, just having the pizza pizza delivered over the fence is kind of a fun, fun thing. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. know you're overweight when. Well, doesn't quite add to the Caribbean feel of the backyard right now, though. No, it's good. Uh, it's good though. I'm 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 enjoying it. But uh, one of my goals this year is I want to do a uh, a road trip, um, and uh, and I was originally going to do it in May, but I'm waiting until more like in the fall. But I'm going to hopefully uh, take my Corvette and drive along Route 66 from Chicago to uh, California. So that's the kind of thing that I want to do. Checking out sites along the way and baseball games. And I was going to say, you got to make some baseball games. I know you love to, to get around to the ballparks. Have you got to, you, you must have hit almost every park now, have you? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not four. I, I would have had it if it hadn't been for this stupid thing. But uh, I'm down to four parks I still need to see. And the problem is, is that uh, parks retire then new ones come up right so right we're down to three but now the new texas stadium uh where the rangers play is uh is new so i gotta head back to dallas to watch a game there so yeah no it's uh it's pretty exciting i uh my goal actually no it's not true i'm at five i i have five stadiums i need to see and uh and yeah and so this year i'd like to knock off at least a couple of them so if 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 they let me out of the country so 
What was the what was the timeline for you on you know because you talk about it being boring and stuff like, and, and I think some people might maybe the people that are thinking a little more aggressively might think well that's going to take too long if I do it that way but yeah I know looking back on the timeline it's this is not that long and if you, a little bit of patience goes can go a long ways in that what was roughly what was your timeline on on you know when you actually started investing to you know to today I guess where you really if you wanted to could probably do do nothing really for 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 a while or for for much of life. If yeah. How, how long did that how long did that take you? Yeah, there's there's a uh, a Bill Gates quote that I like to um, use is that people tend to uh, actually I've got it right up there. Uh, people tend to overestimate what you can do in one year and underestimate what you can do in ten years, and uh, and so honestly, what actually I mentioned this in my book is that if you can obtain three duplexes, just three. Like we're not talking about a portfolio of 77 properties or anything crazy like that. Three properties in an appreciating market that's growing about 4 to 5% per year. Uh, and you come up with a 20% down payment. Uh, just the appreciation and mortgage pay down that you're going to see in that property uh, will, make, will make the investor with over $1 million in net worth in 10 years. And, uh, and that's, again, is that, is that, the be all and end all? Maybe not. Maybe it is. I don't know. But if you're 40 years old and you've got a lot of equity in your personal residence and you have the ability of adding three properties over the course of a decade, this part-time job that's you know, a hell of a lot better than being a uh, an Uber Eats driver uh, will make you a millionaire in 10 years. And that's that's a pretty good objective from my standpoint. And that's kind of what I followed was a was a 10-year plan. And then at the end of 10 years, now in my case, I kind of went a little bit more aggressive. I got to the dozen properties, but, um, but yeah, it's now these properties are all just increasing in cash flow. And even though my cash flow wasn't great in the first few years, now we're seeing tenants moving out and then being replaced with tenants paying in some cases, 20 to 40% more than what the prior tenant was paying. And so the cash flow just keeps getting better and better and better. And, and so now essentially I'm living what they call the cash flow zone where all of the income I've got from my rentals plus some other ventures that I've got uh, now exceeds what my monthly expenses are. So yeah, 10 years is, is, is a very, very, very doable. I think, uh, especially for, like you said, people that have, um, you know, some equity in their current home to just take that out at, at 4%, let's say as, as a round number. I mean, the, the, the um, growth in your, uh, in your portfolio and all that you can get, um, just by leveraging that alone is is really almost a no brainer for most people. Um, now, some people, younger people, let's say, maybe they don't have access to that home or they haven't bought their first home yet. But there is a great way for them to get in, and and you know we know that as house hacking. Can you talk a bit about about what that model might look like if you know the twenty five year old that that doesn't have any home yet and they're just trying to get in the game? Hundred percent. And and actually, I have a chapter in my book called the the Millennial Profit, and uh, and and we talk just about um, the ability of, of house hacking. And, and that's sort of a cool new term for something that's been around for, for over a hundred years. My, my uh, mother and father-in-law, when they bought their home in the 1950s, they essentially house hacked when they bought their house, but it wasn't called that back then. So essentially a house hack is where you live in one unit. Uh, and in some cases it's in some, the, the inferior unit, but then you have a rental income in your same house uh, whether it's in you know, a, a secondary suite or in the case of my mother and father-in-law, it was a border or two, but whatever it takes, you're, you're generating that rental income um, in the property, allowing you to be able to afford that home. And in Ontario, there are so many legal two-unit dwellings that are available. The cool thing is that lenders really like duplexes. And so in many cases, if if you've gone to your lender and you're only approved for a certain dollar value and that dollar value is higher or is, is less than the amount that the um, that the duplexes are selling for, you may want to approach them again and sort of say, well, what if I had income of $1,500, $1,700 a month on top of my current job and income, but this rental income was as one of the suites? Now what would I qualify for? And in many cases, you can qualify for a significantly higher amount with that extra, with that extra rental income, and you know, is this your dream house? No, probably not. Uh, but is this something that's going to get you started? Absolutely. And uh, so, 
as a as a younger person who's trying to get into the housing market, buying that bungalow, living in one unit, and renting out the second is a great way to get you into the market. But even if you can't afford that, um, the one thing that is very common with a lot of people that are thinking about this strategy is they've got that mom and dad who've been living in their home for many, many, many years. They've got a crap load of equity. And uh, and yet they maybe don't have the skill set to want to become landlords and and uh, and and investing in properties. So if you do your homework and you do your your research, and even if you have no money or very little money, it doesn't preclude you from spending a lot of time doing research and analysis, talking to people, understanding the industry, and then approaching your folks and and essentially using the bank of mom and dad and potentially as a joint venture partner where this is a chance for them to build some wealth beyond what they're currently doing right now. And you get an opportunity to get into a house. There's, there's, there's always a way to get into that house. You just have to be creative. It's not like, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I could get my job and then get a, get a mortgage pretty quick. That's unfortunately just not the case anymore, but the creative people are still being very successful. You guys are cases of that. You both were very creative in how you built your portfolios. Well, you know, I think the other thing too about talking to the parents is just keeping it simple, maybe, right? Like, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. It's like, but when you start to go to people that have been brought up one way to say, you know, hey, um, don't worry about paying off your house like you've been told. You know, let's let's pull all that equity back out, all that money that you've put into it. And, you know, let's put it into something else. Because I've had this same conversation with my parents even. And they're just like, oh, no, you know, we like they see what I'm doing. And, you know, I talk to them about it, but they're still, you know, they and and I learned from them, like they were always buying little chunks of land, doing something and selling it off. So it's not like it's foreign to them. But the idea of accessing that capital or accessing that uh, equity is very scary to a lot of people. So it's more it, it might even help these younger people to just be simply like, hey, mom and dad, help me buy a house. Yeah. Right? It, and yeah. And and. You know, it's not the one thing before you, you know, you might be afraid to approach your folks about this. This isn't like when you, uh, you know, when you ask to go into rep hockey or your dance recitals and spending thousands of dollars or, or borrowing $500 in college that you still haven't paid back. This is potentially something that's going to, you know, a lot of these guys were planning on giving you money when they were long retired or when they're passing away. This is a way that, just a small down payment amount in many cases could could make the difference in your life big time. And, you know, if they still decide to not do it, you know, again, don't be too upset with them because like Rob said, they grew up with a certain mentality that was ingrained in them through their education system was to pay, you know, all debt was bad debt. And that's not necessarily the case. If it's a an appreciating property and generating rental income, that's that's good debt. Uh, and you know, if they're not willing to move forward, there might be someone else in your family or someone else, you know, that can work with you or for that matter, you know, it's, there are ways to, there are different ways to generate a little bit of extra income to, uh, to be able to get you into that property. But yeah, it's, it's, it's so cut and dry. If you look at the stats about people that are between the ages of 25 and 40 and the net wealth that people have that own real estate versus the ones that don't. Yeah, there's a way to become a millionaire without owning real estate, but it's a lot harder. Like I, I, I like it simple, and I'll I'll follow the simple path almost every time. So, what do you think you hear more? Do you think you hear more that um, people don't have the time to invest, or that it's too risky? Like those are the kind of the two yeah. things that block people from getting started. So, because you talk about this as like a part-time thing, yeah, right? And yeah, the, so the for, time. Like, what do you say to those people that? Yeah, Go let's, ahead, let's address them. Let's, yeah, sure. Let's address them both. That's a great question, Rob. Um, and uh, don't have the time. I, I always call a little bit of BS on that because, you know, again, if it's done properly, you know, yeah, it's 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 going to take you some time in the front end. But it's amazing how so many people can tell you the goings on of their their favorite reality show or 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 the Toronto Maple Leafs in the playoffs. And they know every single statistic that every player has done of that of their team and the opposing team, and can tell you like can tell you and talk an hour about about the current uh, playoff system. And uh, but yet they don't have the time to spend 
educating themselves on real estate. Now, obviously, the people that are listening to this podcast have sort of already, you know, understood the value of listening to extra, uh, extra education, but many people just don't do it. So that's the first one is it, I call BS on that because there is time to spend on educating. And, and if you buy the right type of properties, uh, you still have the ability of making this into a that part-time job that can make you a millionaire. As far as the risk, um, this is this is something I love to share is um, I use financial institutions like banks as an example. And um, let's let's go over what a bank will do right now. If, if I'm a first-time home buyer and looking to buy my first property, they will give me an interest mortgage of, what, 2 3% on up to 90 to 95% leveraged property. You, you have to ask yourself, why would the banks do that? Why would they do that? Like, why would they give you essentially an, almost an interest-free loan on almost the entire purchase of the property? And the answer is, is that it's such a risk-adverse investment for them that they could they can use the leveraging of 90% plus on a property and and not be worried that there's going to be a foreclosure. Um, and and you have to sometimes use stats because yeah, you you know, a friend of a friend, they got over leverage and they lost their money and you know that scares people. But let me use the real numbers. And and Ontario is a good example. Now to be honest, these stats are at the early part of COVID. And so the stats are a little skewed right now because a lot of people deferred some mortgages, but in um, around early last year, a stat came out that was showing that in all of Ontario, there were just over 1,000 properties that were in um, that were in arrears in their mortgages. And arrears means three months or more of missed payments. And that doesn't mean they're all going to lose their house, but it just means that they were in arrears. So that represents less than less than one in 1,000 houses with mortgages or even behind their payments. So the reality is, is that there are very few foreclosures. There are very few people that have lost their income. And if you buy smartly and buy with guys like Sandy and Rob, uh, you're going to buy the right type of property that's going to cash flow or at least cover all its expenses. And even if there is a market correction of a few percent, it's, it's not a big deal. And, and if you're worried about rent uh, not being paid, buying a quality property, you're not going to have vacancy. Um, I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of investors, and I don't know anyone who's done a long-term buy and hold that's really lost. And that's a good feeling. Yeah. The long-term with a longer-term outlook is really, it is really hard to screw it up. You could buy, you could buy way over what the market is, is, is yeah. bearing and still be, you know, fast forward. If it's a five-year, 10-year outlook, you're definitely still going to, you're going to make it up and be fine. Um, it's the the shorter term stuff or the developments, flips and stuff that do get a little more risky, like you mentioned, and 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 potentially you could lose money. Even then, you know, a little bit of knowledge and stuff goes a long ways there, and, and the right team around you. But it, it is the easy way is definitely buy and hold, thinking long term. And um, I, I agree with buying great areas. You do get way higher tenants uh, profiles that are that are just much easier to handle. Uh, Let's talk about it from a business perspective. You talk about um, you know buying and owning real estate. You know, thinking of it more of a business. What's that? What's that really mean when you you know that mindset? What's that look like? Yeah, you know, again, um, we 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 talk about um, buying a rental, and it's just sort of a it's people don't think of it like a business, and and so I you know in my book I sort of say you know if it if it looks like a duck and and quacks like a duck uh, and walks like a duck, it's a duck. In this case, it's a um, you know it it has um, it has revenue like a business. It has expenses like a business. Um, it's it's a business. If you buy a rental property, it is a business, and you are responsible for uh, ensuring that the the income is is in maintaining or even increasing. You're responsible for maintaining and uh, understanding the expenses, and uh, you've got assets like a business. You've got to keep that asset running like a business. So um, by creating systems in place and, and treating your property portfolio, whether it's one property or a million properties, if you treat it like a business, you'll be a lot further along in the process. And again, it doesn't have to be a full-time business. It could be that part-time business. Uh, like I, I know people that are in their 20s and 30s that are, that are making freaking scrunchies on the side and selling them on on uh, whatever, Itsy or Bitsy or whatever the thing yeah. is. 
Um, and I, I'm, I'm investing in real estate and, you know, that's my part-time job. You know, I don't want to be an Uber driver. I, I want to, I want to have something that's actually lucrative. So my business, um, I'm responsible for is I, I'm ensuring that the asset is in great condition. If we do, we do regular maintenance checks on our property on a, on a six month basis, we're doing everything from ensuring that the smoke detector batteries are there, that the filters on the furnaces are doing well. Um, we, we do a, a visual inspection of the property to make sure there isn't anything going on. Uh, the biggest thing we're always focused on is, is water prevention. If there's a leaky something or other, we're maintaining it and we're not letting things defer. Meanwhile, we're treating our, with our clients with the utmost uh, respect. And I think of my tenants as clients. Uh, we, we treat them with respect. If they have any concerns or issues, we deal with them right away. Uh, keep in mind, these people are paying, like if you're paying, what's some of the rent now, up to $1,800 a month or even more, they're spending $20,000 a year. They're paying you $20,000 a year. You know, it might be a good idea to sort of listen to their concerns from time to time. And, uh, and so we treat them with respect and, and we ensure that they're taken care of well. We make sure the house is taken care of well. And we just follow a checklist of things that we've created and we talk about in the book. And as long as we're doing these things on a semi-annual basis or, you know, uh, in some cases, an annual basis, we're, we're doing okay. And, uh, and that's just treating it like a business. And that also includes the paperwork as well. We do our bookkeeping and such like that because, again, it's a business. So now, Michael, you're talking like you're in there checking those smoke detector batteries. Are you are you actually the one going around doing this still, or what's the deal uh, there? There's a quote that, again, I, I talk about is, money allows you the ability to do things you don't want, and I don't like doing much of anything. So uh, and that's a Groucho Marx quote, actually. is So, so money comes in handy because I, I was able to do it. But the one thing I do is don't hire some lackey that – hasn't and got any skill set if it's a property manager that you trust great but there's the one th like in my case my wife lisa is the one who does most of the most of the property management because she's simply really good at it and uh and i'm not really good at property management that's not my skill set um but yeah we 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 will check them on a semi-regular basis because you get it there's there's nothing that can affect your business more than um than just simply taking a look at your property every six months and just saying, uh oh, something's really changed and being able to correct course correct before things get a lot worse. Um, if you've got, especially if you're in a secondary or tertiary market, uh, and you've got a secondary or tertiary tenant or you're dealing with student rentals, checking out your property every once in a while, like you've got millions of dollars invested in these properties, maybe doesn't hurt to pop in every once in a while, just at least drive by and sort of say, yeah, it's still standing. So. <laughs> Okay, that's good. No, I was just curious because I know, and I know you do work with uh, a good property management uh, company. So you're not you're not opposed to doing that. You just happen to have somebody, your wife Lisa, who is actually good at it, and I, I suppose doesn't mind doing that kind of work. Yeah, and, and it's, but again, no matter how busy you are, like you know, like you know, there might be things that are more impressing on a on an ongoing basis, but. You know, popping into your properties every six months just to ensure that the uh, that 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 the house isn't blowing up is probably not too much of a stretch of what you need to do. Um, and and again, it, it's and in many cases these tenants are so happy to see us. Um, obviously, not in the last year or so with COVID, they're like you know they treat you like you're a leper. But uh, but yeah, it's in many cases they're happy to see you. Like and here's the thing that's really cool about these quality properties is we'll ask them, is there anything that's wrong with the place? They say, no, no, it's fine. And then we sort of press them a little bit more. Are you sure there's nothing that's been bugging you? So, well, you know, there's something, but I didn't want to bother you with it. Like, it's so amazing when you're dealing with a quality tenant, they, they almost don't even want to bother you. So those people that think, oh, I'm going to get these midnight phone calls on a regular basis, it's actually, it's the opposite. We almost have to pry issues out of them. Like we had a situation uh, last year where the fridge was positioned in a way where the front door kept opening and all their food was spoiling. And so all we did was we lifted up the um, um, the legs of the front so that the thing was now tilted back the other way. And, and they were so appreciative of the fact that 
we brought in some because we thought it was a more serious issue than that. And all it was was he lifted the legs. And like they said, oh, my God, I'm so glad. And we've been spending hundreds of dollars extra in food because it's all been spoiling. And and so like but they didn't want to bother us. And and that's the kind of tenants that we typically have. Like it's they just they're happy to live there. They take care of the place and we treat them well. And and if there's any issues they have whatsoever, we take care of it. All right, Michael. So we're here uh, today to talk mo uh, mainly about this book that you've just put out. So let's talk about that. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I'm going to give you a shameless plug here. Um, here's the book here, Armchair Real Estate Millionaire. And uh, and so a lot of the things that we talked about today uh, already is some of the stuff that we did in the book. Um, when I became an investor um, many years ago, or even before that, I used to imagine the wealthy people were this rich, exclusive club that they wouldn't want someone like me as part of. And, you know, if I started trying to make steps to move forward, there'd be somebody pushing me down. And that was this image that we had of, of rich people. And but what I found was the exact opposite. The people that had more success than 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 uh, than me they would uh, not just push me back, but they did the opposite. They were actually, in many cases, um, putting their hand down and bringing me up a step or two on the rung of success. And uh, and over and over again, I had mentors that helped me along the process and brought me to that next step in the ladder. And uh, and that helped form a lot of my concepts from today. You know, I, I don't know anyone in real estate today that came up with their ideas. In many cases, it's regurgitated from other uh other ventures or other investors in years past but uh but yeah as i kept growing i i saw the success that i was having and in many cases it came from my mentors so i always thought that if i reached a point in my life where i had the level of success that i wanted to have i felt that i in my own sort of folksy way i could share my story and my successes and my ventures along the process and and um and sort of introduce real estate investing for another generation and sort of help them up a rung or two along the ladder. And, and as I saw a lot of these um, books that come out and these podcasts and um, investor groups, I find that uh, most of the people that are up there speaking uh, tend to be people that are working on these incredible, unbelievable deals that, that are multi-million dollar projects. And although they're really fascinating, it's kind of out of the reach of the vast majority of the uh, of the people that are just thinking of getting started. It's kind of overwhelming. And so, uh, again, I, I sort of mentioned at the outset, I kind of zigged where everyone else zagged. And I wanted to come up with a concept where just a couple of properties and, and some of the success stories I included in my book are people that have as little as two or three properties and how it's changed their life in, 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 in a really profound way. And, and that was the genesis of the book. Awesome. So is it so, mostly a case study book? Is that what you're saying? I have six success stories in the book. Uh, absolutely. But it's, that's just more of an aside. Um, I, I go through on different uh, chapters and, you know, again, some of the things we talked about was treat your business like a business. Uh, talking about the millennial profit where we talk, you know, we go through that. Uh, at the beginning of the book, it is a bit more of a reference. We talk about determining what a quality market is. But there's a lot more than that. It's uh, it's it's including some neat, fun stories, uh, some uh, anecdotes. Um, you know, again, I, I'm a storyteller. You, you you both have been on investor tours of mine back in the day, and and that's just how I like to sort of share my my stories and my and successes of others is through uh, through stories. So the person that's out there uh, listening and or watching and wants to kind of take the lazy way to being a millionaire. <laughs> this might be a, this might be a book which I don't know many people they wouldn't like that. This is this is probably a great book for them to pick up and and learn a little simpler method of getting there that that doesn't overcomplicate things and make it all crazy and unattainable, but a lot of people can do this. This is not something that is out of the reach for for probably more most of the population really in Canada I think has capabilities to to either do this over the next 10 years or or maybe even a little bit faster, but um, it, it's, it, that's what I like about it. It sounds, it's, it's simple because we overcomplicate this, this stuff way too much. Way too much. Yeah. You know, again, for, for anyone listening, Sandy, Rob and I, we're never going to throw a 90, 90 mile an hour fastball. Uh, we're not going to develop a cure for cancer. Um, uh, I don't think either one of any one of us are going to develop an app that's going to become a multi-million dollar app yet. 
this is a this is something that honestly with a little bit of skill and we're not even talking a lot of skill you could start taking action and uh and just and making some real differences in your your financial life for sure and generations to come because that's that's the one thing i you know for kids and and certainly certainly any kids i don't have any yet but certainly any kids i'm going to have are going to have a big challenge to get into the real estate market if we can't maybe set them up or at least you know if not set them up on our own just at least teach them some of the, the the stuff that we might know and be able to learn and so that they can go in and do it but the the you know we know the numbers right the the real estate market's only going up and up and up around anywhere in ontario at least the average um, or median incomes are not necessarily even close to in line with that. So it's, it's not getting easier. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, um, we talk about the prices going up and up and up and, and that's something I, I, I talk about in the book a lot as well is, you know, people that just assume that prices always go up. I, I call that a, it's a myth. And the reason why it, it always goes up in Ontario is we're seeing an increased population and, you might like or not like the immigration that's been happening in our country, in our province. But what it's done is, is we're just simply adding more people to the existing number of houses that are available. And much like the game of musical chairs, if there is now more people than there are chairs available, the chairs become more and more valuable. And, uh, and in the case of real estate, that's exactly what's happened. You look in markets, and I'll pick a couple as examples, like Detroit, Michigan, for example. The reason why the prices never surge there or for that matter, Newfoundland. I love Newfoundland. It's a beautiful, beautiful province. But uh, the prices are virtually given away there for housing. And you can't even build a house for the price of that. And you say, well, why is that? Well, there's simply more supply than there is demand. And and so just going over the economics of supply and demand, um, it, it may sound complicated, but when you break it down, um, it, it does make a lot of sense. And, and for those that don't know, the Toronto market, and, you know, again, for those of you listening that are in the GTA, uh, you maybe don't even appreciate the growth that we're seeing in this market. Um, Toronto, in the last year and a half, grew at a, a rate so rapidly that the three fastest growing U.S. cities combined equal the growth of what's happening in Toronto. And, and that's just not, obviously, that's unprecedented. And so that's why the housing prices Sandy are growing at such a rapid rate is you keep adding that many people at that fast of a ratio. Like they're adding, like I, I've seen 70, 80,000 people are being added to the GTA every single year in a 10 year period. That's, you know, we're coming up on a million more people. They're talking about in 30 years, the population of Toronto at its current rate will be at the rate of Los Angeles. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable. And so that's why things are growing. If all of a sudden we have a zombie apocalypse and everyone wants to move out of the GTA or they all you know, disappear. We're going to see the housing prices fall. But it's until that happens, if, as long as the population continues to rise, I'm very bullish on this market. So as long as there's no zombie apocalypse, we're OK. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously, we came close in 2020, but uh, but even that did. Well, again, there you go. Like Toronto kind of suffered a little bit on the condos because nobody wanted a condo during COVID. But um detached homes surged especially in the suburbs because all of a sudden demand just just skyrocketed and uh um i don't know how many american listeners we have but uh but i'm actually i'm kind of concerned about new york city uh new york city has seen a massive population drop and even though it's the largest city in uh, the united states by far um unless the population comes back after covid uh, you're going to see housing prices there really suffer as a result of it. Even though the prices have been going up for two generations, um, they're going to suffer if if people don't move back into the city. So mm -hmm. that's uh, I, I have a chapter in my book, uh, chapter three, where I talk about uh, becoming an industry insider. And you know, we talk about this in um, um, in equity businesses, where if you're an insider trader, you know that's that's considered some illegal thing. But in, in real estate, becoming an insider trader just simply means you've done a lot of research and you know what the market entails, and then you could make informed decisions. Uh, like the three of us, we're not that smart, but we got lucky because we bought investment property in markets that are growing. Um, I'd like most of the people listening to this show to be lucky in 10 years. So is the book out now? And where do people get it? Yeah, it came out on uh, May 11th, and um, and it's available. You, you can find it on Amazon, and we're increasing the number of locations for that. Or you can go on my website, 
uh, armchairrealestatemillionaire.com and uh, and check it out. That our site's getting more and more uh, ready for that. And yeah, it's uh, but Amazon is is where most of the people are getting at. It. It's uh, it's exciting to say, hey, my book's available on Amazon. That's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah congratulations by the way on that. Um, hold the book up again. Let me see the cover again. Yeah, so it's it's. Uh, it's it's got the armchair real estate millionaire, and then if you're sitting there anyway, you might as well build your wealth, and and then uh, and then a, an actual armchair, and uh, and yeah, and so like I I I don't take myself too seriously. I have uh, caricatures of myself in the book at all times, and uh, and making I don't know if you can even see that, but uh, but well, that should be the cover. Like yeah, I think I you should, you got to be on the cover. Yeah, I, I know, know, I know. I I, I was going to be chair. Someone's got to be filling that chair. Yeah, it's uh, but it could be you. It could be you. It could be anybody that could fill in that chair. That's it's, true enough. Uh, you you it's, know, it's maybe, a, maybe you have somebody there with a little your face here. <laughs> I like it. See, you know, I need you as my marketing guy there, Rob. Come on. Yeah, um, but Free yeah, it's, it's a very doable thing. Like like I was that CD student in high school that basically I was the one that when they were talking about average grade point average, I was the one that was helping to boost it up sort of, or, or the guy where I was keeping it down so that others can, can, can be above the average. So, um, so uh, it's, it's, it doesn't take the A students with the uh, Mensa uh, degrees and stuff like that, that to get there, it just an action taker who, you know, again, following the research, following the numbers, do your own research, guys. It's it's not that complicated. It, and, you know, follow some of the instructions in the book. And, you know, that market could be one that I've never heard of. And actually, one of my one of my goals is I'd love to one day hear somebody who bought my book in a town I've never been to and they invest in a market I've never been to or maybe never even heard of. And then they reach back to me and say, you know what, I followed the teachings of your book and I'm doing well with that. And and that's and that's the goal. It, it there. If anybody says the only good market is X. They're, they're simply, I wouldn't trust them. There are great markets around the world. It's just follow the market fundamentals and, and find the right type of tenant profile. And you can do really, really well. Now, one thing, uh, you know, obviously we want to encourage everyone to go grab the book. Um, I think it's a really simple and easy way to, to learn and, and grow and, and start building some wealth. Um, what's something, maybe it's from your book, maybe not, but what's one piece of advice or info that you've gotten over time that's really, you know, benefited you or, or you really like to, uh, to reminisce about or you've learned a lot from or quote something out there that you've learned from. Oh, you're throwing me on the spot here. I'm trying to think, uh, boy, oh boy. Let me think. All right. Let's, let's come back to that. I, I actually made some notes about stuff like that and I knew you'd come up with some random question. <laughs> you know, you got that Groucho Marx one, which I liked a lot. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's uh, let me think here. I, oh, okay. Well, here's like, I'm a big believer in uh, some of the teachings of Jim Rohn. And uh, Jim Rohn is one of the best business philosophers um, I've ever felt. And, um, and, uh, and the reality is, is that if you, um, your, your education, your, your education will make you, a, a, the education you get will make you a living, but self-education can make you a fortune. And so spending that extra time and that extra effort to self-educate and not not the stuff that you're going to learn in schools, but actually to move forward and to self-educate can make a whole lot of difference in your life. And it, you, you have to have that million-dollar mindset that you, you, need, to, you need to take. Um, I, I found that to be so imperative. And honestly, I, I went my first 40 years of my life where, and you know, maybe some of you guys can, can attest to this, but you know, I'd go to a grocery store and... Um, and so I, I knew how much was in my bank account and I actually used to keep a running tally of how much I was spending on a calculator because I was afraid to show up at the, uh, uh, at the till and, and put too much through. And then my, my money got, uh, I got rejected and like, I was in fear of that a lot. And, and it's funny how like in, in 15 years, your life can change so dramatically. But, um, you know, again, I was tight on cash. I really, really was. And, and then all of a sudden I started doing things differently and, and, um, and, and making a huge difference. And that was, that was the one thing that, that real estate's allowed me to do. And, and I do encourage everybody to go to your local investment groups, uh, because I could tell you that, uh, as great of, of my friends I had through, I, that I had growing up, um, 
I was sort of the average of my friends growing up and, you know, in terms of wealth, in terms of skill set, in terms of job title. And, and then when I started hanging around with a different group of people and all of a sudden I started to see a bunch of people that had million dollar portfolios, um, it became more natural to do stuff like that. So I'm not saying dump all your friends, but I'm saying start to embrace people that have had different levels of levels of success and things are going to start to, uh, fall into place for you because it just becomes natural to do it. Very good. I like that a lot. So Michael, what is the best way that people can get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, on the website, uh, info at armchair real estate millionaire.com. Um, I, uh, um, we're still an active realtor in the Durham region and uh, through doors to wealth. But you know, again, Rob is a fantastic guy too. So like if you're working with, Mr. Break and, and the Breakthrough Group, then uh, then by all means go that route. But uh, we're we've got a really good successful team out in in the Durham region, and we go out east towards uh, Belleville and Trenton and Coburg and Port Hope uh, for those that are interested. But info at armchairrealestatemillionaire.com would be the best way. Well, Michael, thank you. You know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's been too long, I think. Too long. Yeah, we got. Uh, we'll, we'll have you on again, I guess, if it's gonna. Maybe before the 150 more episodes, maybe a little sooner, but yeah. So, so what you're saying then is I was in, I was on one of the very first episodes uh, and then I'm in the last one where Rob's a Canadian resident. That's exciting. That's right. Still going to be a Canadian resident, but uh, no, you're a Canadian citizen. You won't be a Canadian resident. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, you know, the, the plan is to be back and forth if, you know, COVID permitting, I guess. So we'll see how that goes. But the plan is to be back and forth. Um, I'm so proud of you, man. I really am. Like, like you know, all right, I, I know you got to go, but why don't you share, like, when, before, what, what was your goal when you wanted to, you remember, you remember sharing the goal about wanting to take a vacation? <laughs> well, yeah, that is. I mean, I think we've talked about that before, but I mean, we, there was a couple of reasons for this, and money wasn't necessarily the first one, but uh, I, yeah, I'd never taken a vacation anywhere um before i started working with you michael actually yeah. yeah that was the very first family vacation we ever took was um probably eight months into becoming a realtor on your team so yeah, yeah that was a good that was a good goal that we managed to accomplish and then we just snowballed from there yeah now you're, now you're going permanent permanent vacation, family vacation <laughs> that's what it is permanent yeah. vacation i don't plan on working at all not even yeah, yeah. yeah. I told Rob, I said, one day, this was probably eight years ago, I said, one day I could see the two of us sitting by a poolside, getting fat together, drinking margaritas. And he said, I like that goal. And, and so I can tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm following the, the armchair mindset and getting fatter. So, you know, I need Rob to, Rob to. <laughs> I was going to say, now we're both working on getting skinnier. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to, to go the other way right now. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, 289-389-6846 or Sandy at McKayRealtyNetwork.com. And people can reach me at Rob at MrBreakthrough.ca. Well, thanks everyone for joining us again today. We'll see you next time.